Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with award-winning songwriter, guitarist, and composer David Nickturn. We had a wide-ranging spirited talk about his new 2022 The Dharma Moon Orchestra album. This project was an outgrowth of being holed up for the last two years in his house in East Hampton, New York. A departure from the previous seven or eight years when he traveled extensively playing music and teaching Buddhism all over the world. He is a four-time Emmy Award winner and two-time Grammy-nominated composer that started playing guitar when he was eight years old, composing in his teens and working as a professional musician while he was still at college at Columbia University, where he had a rock band called Voltaire's Nose with longtime lifetime friend Christopher Guest. Over the years, he has collaborated with luminaries like Jerry Garcia, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Dr. John, and so many others. His catalog of story is rich. You should hear this. David, thank you for taking a minute out for the show. It's great to meet you. I appreciate it. Joe, it is my pleasure to be with you today. Let's get into Dharma Moon Orchestra. If there's anything I can just tell you from a personal standpoint that's brought me comfort over this time of the two-year lurch on planet Earth, I think the whole idea of Buddhism has just been overly comforting uh, with the loss of control and just you know, kind of getting more plugged into spirituality, you know, because of all of this. And this is a very interesting project coming out during a very interesting time on planet Earth. So with that as our backdrop, talk to me about how this release feels for you. Well, you're, you're um, starting us off on a really composite note, which is great because my entire life has been a hybrid of I'm a, you know, a highly engaged Buddhist teacher, taught Buddhism all over the world, and we have a company now called dharmamoon.com. It's online. People can visit. The essential quality of the community that's gathering there is um, based on a, really essentially on a, a premise that's in a book that I wrote called Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, which people can also check out. But the idea is that just as you're saying, the spiritual practice, the creative expression, and the livelihood pieces all coming together in integrated weave. That's what we're trying to uh, present so that came out of, as you're saying, Joe, the pandemic. I got isolated out at my house here in Long Island for a couple of years, and I just found myself in a tremendous creative push. So we started Dharma Moon online. I was going around the world teaching Buddhism live, and we went and we took it online. And we have a pretty burgeoning community happening there. At the same time, I had an album of music just emerge. Uh, I think creative types out there will understand that these things come out like a you're having a baby or something, you know, they, they just kind of emerge, uh, and, uh, you know, 12 tunes just came out, all instrumental. They told me who to be playing on them. They told me how they should go. And then we just made it happen. So that's how, that's how, uh, it's, that's why it's called the Dharma Moon Orchestra. It's called Pandemonia, the album, because it's based on, you know, uh, music done during the pandemic. And, and there's some great players on it. And I'm very proud of it. So this has to be a very multifaceted, cathartic kind of event. I mean, not only did you create something that is going to be ingested by the masses, you probably created a level of comfort and meaning during a time where we've all been searching for that and really kind of digging deep into kind of self-reflection over this time. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at how people did during this time, in my communities in general, you know, people who are willing to step back and look in and sort of work on their, you know, um, life equation in an internal way seem to have done okay during this time. 
and other people who were just thrown by it and and um, you know challenged by the external challenge of it seem a lot of people seem to have really really suffered during this time. So I, I think I've seen both both outcomes actually. You know, when this all began, I really didn't know exactly what I was going to do myself, but I really went gung ho and interviewed in a way that I never interviewed before. You know, musicians in the jazz community, and what I think I realized, I mean, just overall. Whoever you were before this happened, before March 13, 2022, or 2020, I'm sorry, was only going to manifest. So if you were a positive person that, that, that had a leaning on spirituality and maybe seen that glass half full, it was going to explode into ways that were going to be positive. But if you were already negative, do you, do you feel like that as well? Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing, Joe, because there's kind of a spiral in life, and you're either going up or you're going down. Uh, or, or or treading water. That's the way a lot of the body's energies are set up to work. You know, you can see people sink energetically, physically, or kind of, uh, you know, raise up. When you see somebody whose energy is, they're connecting well with it, it's almost, there are words like uplifted, inspired. You know, the energy seems to be cycling up in, in that person's, you know, emotions and mind. And we're all playing that uh, handout. You know, there's, for every person I ever knew, there are, you know, downward spirals and upward spirals. And to me, the art of living is cultivating, you know, can can you um, tune your basic energy no matter what the external situation is that's, that you're being presented with. And and in some cases, the more challenging, the better. Uh, but I, I've seen people spiral down quite a lot, and there's some very, very uh, sad and depressing stories coming out of these last two years for sure. You know, and I've been wondering about that too. I You know, I've gone to more funerals in the last... Mm eight months than I ever have for for years and years. And no one's really talking about it, but it almost seems as though there's a spirit that's getting broken that's beyond a virus that's happening right now. I mean, we're going through something unprecedented. I mean, do you, do you sense that yourself where when you hear about people that are suddenly leaving us, that there's something much, much more than just whatever physical ailment they had? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, one of the things about the Buddhist perspective, which I obviously have, uh, you know, really taken a good look into and taken on to a significant extent my whole adult life, is that the big picture is that, you know, moment by moment, the situation's going to change. That's If you want to look at one headline from Buddhism, it's impermanence. And that we grasp at, at stability, and that causes suffering. Right, so that's that's a kind of very simple-minded reduction of of the uh, of the perspective. So, yeah, I think if you look at what's happening to individual people from a Buddhist perspective, you look at the whole arc of their lives. You know, maybe the whole the whole um, span of this life, maybe other lives. If you have that perspective, I've I've always talked about it. You don't need that perspective, but it certainly works for people who can adapt it. That there's there's karma, there's history to what we experience, and it goes way way back. And we're vetting it in the present moment, and how we in, how we vet it in the present moment is going to influence the future. That's the basic. I'm trying to give some sort of simple ideas here about it. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself over this last two years that maybe you didn't realize before that will make you stronger as you promote this album and kind of maybe get back out into the world a little bit more? Well, that's such a great question, and it sort of you know brings the music together with the you know the individual journey that we're all on, but. I think the main thing is to have confidence and trust in your basic nature and your basic expression. So, for example, these songs came out. 
the way they came out, I, they were very um, unobstructed and unmanipulated by me. And so I ended up feeling like, this is what I have to say, you know, friends, this is it. And I got, I got it from conception stage to manifestation stage, and I'm really ready to present it with confidence. And if you don't like it, it's okay, you know, if it's not your cup of tea. But it's what came out of me at this time. And so that, that idea of not second-guessing yourself had a lot to do with these two years to answer your question. You, you, you get in trouble if you second-guess yourself all the time. Go with the first sure. thought. Yeah, you got it. So talk to me a little bit about how this journey of both music and Buddhism came into your life and how both of those at that point kind of came to a juncture and aligned together. Yeah, what, what a great question. And I, I do urge people who want to get into the deeper part to, to get a copy of Creativity, Spirituality, and Making the Buck. It's got an audio book, too, because that tells the story of this interweaving. But basically, in a nutshell, I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old. And that was just kind of what, you know, your parents back in those days, you could learn guitar or piano. Pretty much that was it. My sister had the piano. I was ripe for music since day one. And my uncle Irv was a great jazz piano player. He played in Tommy Dorsey's band. He was a musical conductor on Broadway. So he was a huge influence. And my mother was a theater producer. So on that side of the family, I had kind of a lot of creative um you know, um, re- reference points. And my dad's side of the family was, he was a doctor. So, you know, that kind of healing energy and, and uh, a little more grounded in, in kind of uh, working with the mind and the body. Those threads came together. But when I graduated from college, like a lot of people back then, I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I, was, I, I went in as a pre-medical. I came out as an English major. And then... Um, I got a gig, which actually my mother was the producer of a Broadway show called Jimmy Shine, which had Dustin Hoffman in it and Cleavon Little. And my uncle Irv was the musical director, and John Sebastian wrote the music, and they hired me to play guitar in the, in the show. So right out of college, all of a sudden, I'm a professional musician. <laughs> and then I realized, hey, I don't really have another way of making a living here, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't, I didn't quite figure that out. So I just kept rolling forward with that. And then pretty early on, um, I had... You know, I was part of, I guess, the 70s, the early 70s folk scene in, in New York City and playing with a lot of great musicians, and it was a very colorful time. And I was just in that and writing that, and I hooked up with uh, Maria Muldor as her musical director and guitar player and wrote Midnight at the Oasis. So that that started the ball rolling down the hill. I had a, like a major international hit when I was 26 years old, you know. And then um, at the same time, in a parallel development, I met my Buddhist teacher, who was Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, a very famous uh, Tibetan Buddhist teacher who came to the West very early on. And I met him in 1970 while I was going to Berklee College of Music. So those two threads just emanated at exactly the same time. And then they they sometimes uh, competed for my attention. There were times I spent more focus on one or the other. But back then, like I was going back and forth. I mean, I like to tell this story. I was in a band with Jerry Garcia uh, called the Great American String Band. You can can check it out online. It's kind of a, you know, a bluegrass band that was um, had David Grisman and Jerry Garcia and me and a couple other people, Richard Green. I was going back and forth between that and studying with uh, Trungpa Rinpoche and studying Buddhism. So the two the two uh, experiences were a both part of the colorful seventies, and b I was going back and forth. So I had to bring them together because there's only one me and there were these two interests. So the the braid comes out of that um, that me weaving them together, and I would say. You know, for the last 20 years or so, they're part of, they, they seem totally integrated to me. It's like one world. 
look at what yeah. we're talking about right now. It, we're yeah. talking about the integration of those things. So that's what I mean. Absolutely. Well, you know, and you were active, quite active prior to COVID happening. And I'm curious, you know, during this time of reflection, you know, you have to be thinking about live moments that you've experienced on the stage, magic moments. Is there anything that happened on stage that was magical, that reverberates for you, that maybe got magnified during this time? <laughs> I, I went further back and thought of some things um and I think maybe some of us, and you could say if that's happening for you, I'm having a lot of flashbacks during this sort of retreat time, like very vivid uh, memories. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's from being, you know, alone quite a bit. A couple of flashbacks when you, when you asked the question. Uh, the first one was that, that band I was talking about with Jerry Garcia and David Grisman, we opened a Grateful Dead concert with 100,000 people in a stadium. And that was like a definite moment in the history of the thing. You know, I remember being up on that. They had a stage with their own, they had their own sound system. They had their own artists. They had their own culture. It was pretty exciting and pretty fun. So that, that come, that came to mind. And the other one, well, there's a couple of ones, was getting nominated for a Grammy for Midnight at the Oasis. And, um, uh, you know, Paul Simon and John Lennon presented the, uh, uh, the Grammy. So that was kind of chilling and, and cool. And then Roberta Flack sang the tune as part of the thing. So, uh, so I would say that, that the Grammys was a, was a cool moment. And um, I'm, I'm sure there were others, but uh, those flashed into mind quite quickly. You know, I saw a documentary on Billy Joel playing the last show at Shea Stadium recently, and mm. they went they went through the entirety. And you know, Paul Paul McCartney miraculously made it, and kind of everything mm. came full circle. But he was talking during that documentary about being up in front of that, those people. And, and the adrenaline he had. To be in front of 100,000 people to have that thrill, how long does that take to come down off of something that fills you with such joy and adrenaline? I haven't come down yet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'll beautiful. let you know when I do. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it never happens, man. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. And the one thing that's been very key for you is longevity. You know, it's I think that's the one thing in music that people don't elongate on enough is that, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe make an album or two and they go away or it just doesn't work out, but there's something to be said about longevity. And my question to you is, what's been the key to your longevity and relevance and staying in this and just evolving through the music that you make? Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. It's, of course, something I'm thinking about. I just had my 74th birthday two weeks ago. So longevity or shortevity... <laughs> <laughs> Whichever it's going to be is on your mind more. You know, uh, people in my crew, some are departing, some are ailing. I happen to be in pretty good shape, and um, I study Tai Chi and Qigong, and that helps quite a bit to, to, to keep spry. And then I, I I watched the Tibet House Benefit the other day, and Philip Glass was on there at 85, looking utterly happening and cool. And then I see the Dalai Lama at 88 on a treadmill. And then you see Norman Lear out there in L.A. who's going to be 100 and he's still producing television. So I think a lot of us are recalibrating what we think these years are supposed to be. I wrote my first book at 68 and my second book at 73. And I have a new album coming out this year, and it's not a retread. It's not like, oh, I think I'll just play some of my hits or whatever. It's like fresh, fresh uh, inspiration music. And a lot of uh, the students that I work with and the meditators that I work with are also involved with the music, which is a very cool part of it. Julian Lodge played on the record, and he's somebody I met through the meditation. 
And Cynthia Daniels uh, was our engineer, and she's somebody who's taken our teacher training course at Dharma Moon. So there's and Matt Oistreicher, who's my partner, and I should definitely mention Matt uh, in the Dharma Moon Orchestra. Uh, Matt is one of the greatest keyboard players around and has a really diverse uh, portfolio, but he's also a Buddhist and a meditator. So there's these kind of two worlds overlapping in, in this, and I find that inspiring and rejuvenating, to be honest. It's fresh. So, yeah, for sure. So, you know, you get to wake up every day and create. That's, that's, that's what you've done for, for decades. What is it that you enjoy the most about being a professional musician and waking up every day? So it's funny you're saying, you know, I, we have a saying in my tribe, first thought, best thought. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, but it, it's something my teacher used to say pretty regularly, first thought, best thought. So when when you said that, the idea of, um, of, of uh, waking up and being creative, it's like sometimes I dream music, literally. I've dreamed entire songs, and I wake up and write them down. So I feel like this process is just something you got to let it flow through. The less you try to manipulate it, the less you try to, uh, you know, create some kind of uh, fixated ego identity out of it. That's where the creative process is really going to gonna really light up. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It certainly does. Absolutely. You know, and I guess I, I want to kind of go back in your life. And, you know, you've been on stage. You've, you've seen, you know, thousands and thousands of fans. But, when you were younger and growing up, what was one of the most memorable shows that you saw that made you think, I'd love to be up there and do that someday? <laughs> Again, first thought, best thought. I thought of Bob Dylan at uh, Carnegie Hall when I was 15, and I went, oh, boy, this is going to be something. And then I was a big bluegrass fan, so I saw Bill Monroe, who was the father of bluegrass, on that same stage, actually, with his band, and I was like in an ecstatic state that music if you're into if you're tuned into bluegrass and they start taking off down that road it's pretty exciting you know and that was the the best of the best of it so those come out as live concert experiences that were really seminal for me definitely is there anybody out there on your radar that you haven't seen live that you would love to see that's out there doing work these days wow well of course the last couple of years I haven't seen anybody, you know, um, uh, and, and it's just getting to the point now. I don't know if you're ready to leave your house, but I've been, I'm meeting uh, Randy Brecker played on my album. Randy's, my young friends call Randy a goat. You know what that is, a goat? Have you heard that expression? The greatest of all time? Yeah, greatest of all time. So my young musician friends, so I've quite a lot of them, look at Randy as a maestro, and I always, have always looked at Randy as a maestro. His brother, Mike Brecker, played on one of my earlier albums called From Here to Eternity. We did a, a duet on, on, um, on Midnight at the Oasis, an instrumental version of it. But Randy, I just started hearing Randy on this record. So we're going out tonight to have dinner. You know, Now, I have only been to live performances a couple of times during these two years, but I could imagine what would I want to see. You know, gosh, I mean, there's, there's quite a, a list there. I think... You know who just continuously has killed me for decades is James Taylor. And I know it's mainstream and it's right down the middle, but I, he he's just somebody who never even wavered from being absolutely on point with who he is and not, ju not just retreading the thing. So I wouldn't mind going to, to a James Taylor concert. I wouldn't mind going to an Alison Krauss concert. 
that would be fun for me. You know, I love I love the great sort of nouveau bluegrass stuff. That I, that would be fun for me. And my friend who also who played on the record, Julian Lodge, is you know Julian, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Julian. Yeah. I had Julian on my podcast, and he said, Julian, do you know the idea of a tulku in in Buddhism, which is a reincarnated lama? That, that and and I said, are you a guitar tulku? Did you do this in the last life? I mean, just woke up knowing how to do this. Because I've been a guitar player my whole life. I've seen a lot of the greats. He's a phenomenon. So I wouldn't mind going to see Julian play live. That would be that would be cool. And you know who Absolutely. I want to really see play live, Joe? The Dharma yeah. Orchestra. Yeah. We're playing yeah. in June. We're going to do a live concert. Well, and that leads into my next question here. You know, I like to call what hopefully will be an awakening and a revival of the live music scene. What are you hoping we all realize about the power of live music that we've largely been away from? I mean, sporting events and all these other people have come back. The artists have kind of been on the back burner. So what are you hoping that both fan and musician realizes mm -hmm. about the power of live music when we come back? Well, and I'm going to spread that out to the power of live everything. Because I went to dinner with some friends three weeks ago, which is the first time I'd done that in a while, and I walked around them because they're in three dimensions. I went like... Where's your box around you, you know, from the Zoom sessions? <laughs> I think just being live again, tasting food, sitting with people, um, you know, sharing uh, that organic heart uh, and, and sensory connection, I think it'll come in at a, it'll kick in at a whole other level because something about this whole experience probably tuned our instrument finer to, to really appreciate it. So I don't think it's going to be like going backward. I think it's going to be like you're going to be, feel like you're tripping, basically, when you're hearing live music. Without a doubt. So, you know, everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, your students. But ultimately, you live your life. You have a perception of who you are. Who do you think you are? <laughs> now, you're being yeah. a Buddhist teacher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting the way you said it. Who do you think you are? And I would say, I'm going to answer as a Buddhist, you're not who you think you are. That's, 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 so that's an interesting twist to take on that question. Uh, we do get caught up in who we think we are. I, I think I'm um, somebody, I, I can give you qualities, characteristics. I like helping people. I, I'm very interested in people. I like working with younger people a lot. I like um, giving it, you know, recirculating energy and knowledge and wisdom, so I'm kind of a lineage -y kind of person. I like turning people on to things. Like, you know, I'm not sure everybody knows uh, John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, who's playing music these days, you know? Maybe they should give that a listen. So I like sharing. I like turning people on to things. I, I, I like food. <laughs> I enjoy, you know, cut, uh, you know, sort of the ordinary human stuff. I really like it a lot, the, the realm of the senses. Other than that, you know, it's it feels like there's threads, but uh, I like funny. I got a lot of comedian friends. You know, Chris Guest is one of my best friends, oldest friends. I I, I do some work with Duncan Trussell and Pete Holmes, uh, the young young comedians. I I love funny. I think if you're if you're in doubt, you should you should have a laugh, you know, and a good meal, and then and then play some music, and hang out. <laughs> I guess it's not very profound. No, it is profound. I mean, I think that's. One of the things that we we didn't have for so long, and the the uh, the profundity of it is is massive right now, you know. And I hopefully yeah. what we've been withdrawn from 
we'll, we'll take on a new meeting. I mean, I know that when this happened prior to this, the last show I saw on March 3rd, 2020, was Bill Frizzell. And oh, I had wow. just, I, yeah, I just got married in July of 2019. Oh. So I'd, I'd been taking my wife to jazz shows, kind of. She just was really, you know, because I do this and I love it, she comes to these. And I remember her asking me before the show, what's this show going to be like? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and, and, and as the show went on, at one point he played, he played uh, We Shall Overcome. Petra Hayden was singing. And she got up in kind of this uh, a red church robe, and everybody stood up. Like we all kind of had an idea like animals before a storm. And we all swayed wow. sing, singing We Shall Overcome. And then the eclectic nature of that show, right after that, he did a cover of Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> so it's like, wow. Yeah, so I think about that, but I always think before even that show, before this happened, I would always take a deep breath in as someone that was covering this as a press person, and I would get in, and I would just breathe in thinking, this is amazing. And it's always amazing anytime you get to see live music. So I hope that the world... In all of these ways, taking in a fine wine or a meal or a show, we all realize that this is a gift. This is something that is, is beautiful no matter what's going on, and hopefully that's magnified now. Well, you know? I think you just grabbed a great title out of there too, Joe. It's like Animals Before a Storm. That's a really <laughs> good either song or book title. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> so I just want to invite everybody who's listening to connect us. I, I, so if you just go to www.dharmamoon.com, you'll see what's happening on the Buddhist frontier. And if you go to David Nickturn, that's N-I-C-H-T-E-R-N.com, you'll, you'll learn about Pandemonia and this new release, and which is already, we've got a single out, and it's kind of cooking already. Uh, it's the one cool. with Julian Lodge and Randy Brecker playing a duet called um, Samba for Julio, which is really written for Julian. It was really like, he, he was in my mind when I wrote it. So anyhow, I just want to invite people to connect and, and, and weigh in or let us know what you're doing um, for anybody who's out there listening, you know? Yeah. Anybody would be foolish not to grab onto this music. That's what I'll say, and I'm going to make sure that I, <laughs> I, 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 throw, I throw it out off the digital mountain as high as I can. So I'm going, to, I'm going to put it out there. And Man, David, this has been wonderful, man. I really appreciate you taking time out, opening up. And what you're putting out into the world, I think it's, it's, it's beautiful that there's music as a healer in itself, but I think the idea of, of the Buddhist mentality is so essential for, for folks to get some peace in their lives, and that's what we're all looking for. Well, that's, that's so great, and, and thank you so much for the perspective you're bringing to it. It's kind of fun, more fun for me to talk about the whole picture, you know, but I'm happy to talk about music any day of the week, you know. Usually I have my music friends over there and my Buddhist friends over there, but lately it's all been one crowd. It's all yeah. one thread. Yeah. You know? well, and I um, appreciate it a lot. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to David for his class, cool, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.